Welcome to the Happy Sober Podcast. Helping people get back in control of their life, happiness, peace, and purpose, and all without a drop of alcohol. For more information and to book your place on our next free quit drinking webinar, visit www.stopdrinkingexpert.com. And now, here's your host, Craig Beck. Hello and welcome on in to episode two of the Happy Sober Podcast. My name is Craig Beck from StopDrinkingExpert.com and uh, I'm so thrilled to be here because actually when I set this podcast up, I wasn't sure if anyone would want it. I wasn't sure there was a demand for this sort of thing, uh, but it turns out there is. So here we are, episode two, and uh, it will be a bit longer than the first one today because I've actually had quite a lot of emails from people asking questions, and I love that. That's what I would love these podcasts to be about. Uh, So if you have any questions about quitting drinking or living a sober life, then please email me, craig at craigbeck.com. Always happy to take your questions. Um, So today I want to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about how, as a society, we seem to have been tricked. We've fallen into an illusion. And that illusion is something that's been propagated by the alcohol manufacturers, and that is that relaxation equals wine. This appears to be coming set in stone in our psyche. So we'll talk about that today. Also want to uh, answer a few questions. Uh, Yanni's been on uh, with an email. Uh, so Yanni, yes, I will be dealing with your, what you call, deep question today. Uh, Megan Roberts. Thank you, Megan. Megan has asked about using kombucha. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, also wanted to speak to Jim. Jim Burmaster's been on with a question. And we've got one more here as well. Um, Richie. Richie wants to ask a question as well. Okay. So the whole point of this podcast is to change mindsets, to change the mentality that alcohol is normal. Because this is the kind of default that we've fallen into as a, as a society in the Western world. Alcohol is so prevalent in our daily life that to not drink it has become the weird thing. And that is quite scarily insane because alcohol is a registered poison. It's not like we could sit here and debate whether alcohol is a poison or not because that argument was over many, many years ago. It is registered as a poison. If you try and buy it in its 100% neat, pure form, it will come in a bottle with skull and crossbones on it. Alcohol is a registered poison. So... The routine habit of drinking poison is nuts, right? That is the logical statement. And yet we have somehow developed a society in the Western world where not drinking the poison on a daily basis becomes the weird thing. And that's why this podcast is necessary. Because quite frankly, the world has gone nuts and we're not getting away with it. You know, if if there were no downsides to this, then, you know, I wouldn't have the website. I wouldn't be doing this podcast. But the the harsh reality is that three million people every year die because of alcohol. And it's not three million people, is it? Because all those people had husbands and wives and children and family and loved ones and friends. And so what we're talking about here is hundreds of millions of people in misery every year because of this attractively packaged poison. A product 
on our supermarket shelves that kills millions of people with the permission of our governments. That's nuts. And yet, we've arrived at this situation where if you decide that you don't want to drink the poison that gives people cancer and kills people, you're labeled as some sort of freak, some sort of weirdo who's, uh, you know, a party pooper and boring. And I think a lot of this is down to the unique position that alcohol has and its ability to market and advertise because no other product on planet Earth has the license to say whatever it wants like, like alcohol does. You can't make claims about your product that you can't defend. Well, not unless you want to get sued and bankrupted. But this, this rule that applies to every other product on planet Earth for some reason doesn't apply to alcohol. Imagine if I brought out a food additive today and I claimed that it cured cancer. Eat my new protein bar and you will never get cancer. Now, if I can't prove that and pretty quickly... I'm in a whole heap of trouble, aren't I? For a start, I'm probably not going to get my marketing anywhere in either public because it's not going to get past the filters. If I do manage to sneak it out and I make that claim publicly, I'm going to get sued pretty quickly. And yet alcohol can say anything it wants. It can say it makes you more confident, makes you more sexy, makes you more fun to be with, give, gives you more sex appeal, gives you this, gives you that. And everything that it claims is a lie. Everything is a lie. And yet, nothing happens. Imagine if I brought out a new brand of car tire. And I said, if you use my car tires, you will never have an accident again. <laughs> How long would I last? A week? A few days? Certainly no more than a couple of weeks before I got bankrupted by all the law cases and legal issues that came into my life. And so alcohol is in this unique position where it can say anything it wants and it doesn't have to prove anything. And my God, do the alcohol producers and their elected PR departments know this. And one thing that I've noticed recently is that the whole wine equals relaxation mantra is being pushed hard into the Western world. We're repeatedly exposed to messages on TV and in magazines, that chilling out, kicking back and relaxing after a hard day at work has to involve a glass in your hand. It's crazy, right? Because actually, there was a time, and it's not so long ago, I'm talking 30 years ago, where relaxation was not connected to alcohol. Now, perhaps it was connected to cigarettes, but that's a different story. But there was a time when people came home from a hard day at work and they had an evening meal together. They talked. Maybe went for a walk with the dog, played with the kids. But that is a period in the past now because the routine that is being prescribed to us by the marketing is that you come home from work, you're stressed, you've had a hard day, there's too much pressure on you, everyone eats their meal in a separate room, the kids go up to their room, and perhaps when the kids are asleep, the bottle of wine gets open, and only at this point does the evening get good. Everything else is just a continuation of the stress of the day. Only when the cork comes out of the bottle 
do we say, Oh, relax now. And this is a very, very dangerous loop to get into because what we're finding is more and more problem drinking is being done solo. You know, back in the day, it used to be that you would know the town drunk because he would be in the bar every night, he would drink all evening, and he would fall out of the barroom door at the end of the evening and have to be dragged home, or he would spend the night in the police cell. But this is not happening now because the supermarkets are selling booze cheap. They're piling it high and selling it cheap with bog offers, you know, buy one, get one free. And people are taking it home, especially women, especially stressed out moms are taking wine home. And they're getting into this routine of, well, it started off with a glass of wine a night. But I think more and more these days when people say, I'm having a cheeky glass of wine, I think what they mean is I'm having a cheeky bottle of wine. And a bottle of wine becomes two bottles of wine. Because problems with alcohol never get better on their own. And, you know, in a way, you've got to, You've got to hand it to the the alcohol producers because what they've achieved in the last 10 years, last 15 years, is actually a tour de force. You know, they've done something really impressive with their marketing spend. They've managed to persuade a whole generation of people that drinking poison is how we relax. That's pretty impressive when you think about it, isn't it? There was some research done in in Ireland uh, a few weeks ago. And they found out that, well, basically they surveyed about 45,000 women who were pregnant and had attended a prominent maternity hospital in Ireland. And what they found out was that two-thirds of the women had drank alcohol during their pregnancy. And that's quite shocking, isn't it? Because we we know what damage alcohol does to a fetus. We know that if you drink while you're pregnant, you're risking that your child will be born with learning difficulties and many, many other problems. And yet we've become so hooked, so addicted as a society and so dictated to by the advertising and the marketing, to, marketing that we will risk our unborn child in two-thirds of cases rather than deal with the problem. So I think we're in a pretty shocking situation. So let's uh, let's see if we can deal with a few questions here. Yoni's been on. Uh, Yoni's actually a member of the course at StopDrinkingExpert.com. Uh, and I think she's she's got a good point here. She's, she's asking how you quit drinking and replace the, the excitement around certain points in the year, certain events. So... The example here is if you're going off for a a vacation or for a weekend camping, and previously that would have involved lots of drinking, lots of silliness, lots of laughing, lots of falling about drunk. How do you get excited about stuff knowing that it's not going to be like that? That's a great question. And, you know, that, that thought process, how can I deal with Thanksgiving without a drink? How can I deal with Christmas without having drinks with the family? What about my birthday, going on vacation? So many people worry about that. And here's the answer. It's not simple. It's not straightforward. It, it's a uh, look, look, alcohol didn't come into your life to that extent overnight. 
alcohol is a learned addiction because we, we teach ourselves to tolerate drinking poison. The chances are when you first tasted your dad's whiskey when you were a kid, you thought it tasted disgusting and you thought, my God, how can the adults get so excited about this filth in a glass? So what's happened over the years? Have they come out with a new recipe for alcohol? Are they on alcohol 2.0 now? Of course not. Alcohol still tastes disgusting. It's just that we've taught ourselves to tolerate it. We even get to the point where we fool ourselves enough that we actually like it. So alcohol didn't arrive in our lives overnight. It took years, sometimes decades, to put down roots and establish itself. And so... I think, Yoni, where you are is you are at the point where you've connected excitement, anticipation, and fun with alcohol so much so that you can't see the wood for the trees anymore. Because the implication being that you can't have a good time unless you're going to be drunk and falling over. And the example I would give you to disprove that theory, Yoni, is go to a McDonald's on a weekend and watch kids having a birthday party. Not a single one of them drunk. Now, they may look drunk, (laughs) but I tell you what, you will not see any human beings on the planet having a better time than those kids in that soft play area at McDonald's. In fact, I would suggest if you introduced alcohol into that party, if you stopped the party and said, hey, kids, come over here, I know how to make your party better, and you gave them all alcohol, I'm going to suggest that you would ruin their day. And actually, the party would get dramatically worse. In fact, it would have to be called off and all the kids would have to be sent home because alcohol doesn't make a party. It's just that we have conditioned ourselves to believe that it does. And so it's not simple. It's not like you you can do all the things that you used to do just without alcohol because what you're going to find is a lot of the things that you used to do are actually pretty boring without alcohol. And we incorrectly make an assumption that because we can't drink, this is no longer fun. Well, you know what? Actually, it was never any fun. It's just that alcohol made us so stupid that something so dull and boring became fun. And so what I suggest to people is that they they just, you have to start doing different things with your life. Because getting excited about spending a weekend camping where you're going to be in a zombified state for 60% of it is, is not logical, doesn't make a lot of sense. Because we don't get very long on this planet. You know, when you think about it, time goes so quickly. I can't believe I'm 44 years old. What the hell happened? It's my nephew's birthday today. I took him to Disneyland when he was six years old. It feels like it was yesterday. He's 29 today. What the hell? What is going on? And so... You know, you won't get to the end of this life when you're 80 years old, lying in your deathbed... You won't get there being grateful that you spent half your adult life zombified by a mild anesthetic, not quite aware of your surroundings, not present in the moment. Think about it differently. You know, if I said to you, take this tablet, it's going to mean that half of your life is a blur to you. You're not going to be aware of it but it will give you a mild sensation of euphoria. Would you take it? I don't think so. I think given that choice, you would see that 
choosing to numb down half your life is is too heavy a price to pay for the mild sensation of euphoria that alcohol creates. So, Yanni, uh, my advice to you is you, you've got to look at your life and say, what do I really want to do with my time? And this might mean that you have to change some friends out. You might have to change some of the people you hang out with on a regular basis because perhaps they're not serving you in the way that you need. You know, us drinkers, we, we tend to leave behind many of our goals, dreams, and aspirations because all we want to do is drink. And when you stop drinking, you have to take a real hard look at your life and do an evaluation and say, what am I going to do with my time? Why am I here? What do I love? What am I passionate about? What did I give up in the past because of alcohol? So it's time to take stock, Yanni. And I hope that helps. So let's move on to a question from Megan. Uh, okay, let's let's just go with the email. Hi, Craig. I've been not drinking for about seven weeks now and honestly have never felt better. Uh, I, don't, I too don't believe in the methodology of AA, so I've been seeking out resources of support. I feel very resolved in my decision to stay sober and I'm not even the slightest bit tempted to drink again, but I wanted to proactively have the tools in case I ever do. Uh, let's have a look here. Um, let's skip forward. Okay, so uh, Megan's basically, she started using uh, kombucha tea as an alternative to alcoholic beverages. Uh, she says it's got loads of health benefits, um, but she was shocked to discover that it does state that it has trace elements of alcohol in it. Uh, please let me know what you would do. Can you offer any insights on naturally occurring alcohols and their benefit or lack thereof? Is it ever okay? Thank you so much for what you're doing, and thank you for taking the time to help me with this. Megan from Dallas, Texas. Okay. Uh, see, I look at kombucha a bit like non-alcoholic beer. Uh, I think it's okay in moderation. Um, I occasionally have a non-alcoholic beer. But it's occasionally. It's kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm bored drinking water. I'm, I don't want anything sweet. I want something kind of savory. And I might go and get a non-alcoholic beer. But if, if you kind of quit drinking, and then the first thing you do is go and stock your fridge full of non-alcoholic beer, what that says to me is that you're really, really missing your beer. <laughs> and you, you, you're, you're creating a substitute. And the problem with that is eventually the substitute's not going to be good enough. You, you still have that connection that a cold beer is good. And part of the process of quitting drinking without willpower is dissect, dissecting all your beliefs around this drug and understanding the truth about them. For example, I noticed a few years back that I had a craving to have a beer. And I was worried about that because, you know, I'm the stop drinking expert. How can I have a craving to have a beer? And, and I thought about it a long time and I realized what I was craving, what I wanted was not the beer, but the theater around the beer. It was a really hot day. It was like, um, I think it was about 35 degrees. Um, I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit. Forgive me. I live in Europe. Um, it was crazy hot. So it was well over probably 110 degrees Fahrenheit. And we went, me and my friend, we went to a bar and I ordered a Coke and he ordered, he ordered a pint of beer. 
and my Coke came in a straight glass, and it was just placed in front of me, and it was, I think it was three euros, something like that. And I started drinking it, no problem. And then they started to serve his pint of beer. And they went to the freezer, and they pulled out this, it wasn't a glass, it was a chalice. It was like, you know, all, all etched and carved. And they pulled out of the freezer this frozen chalice. And as they carried it over to the beer tap, it crackled as the ice started to shatter and melt and the condensation started to run down the outside of the glass. And then they started to pour the beer from this beer tap that was just pure elegance. It looked like a swan's neck. And slowly they poured this golden liquid into this frozen, crackling chalice. They pulled out a special branded beer mat to match the brand of beer, and they placed it in front of my friend, and they lowered this golden glowing liquid onto the chalice. And I looked at it, and I've got to be honest with you, I was so jealous. That looked good. I was like, oh, man, look at my drink. And I felt cheated. And at the time, I thought, oh, my God, I want to drink. I want a beer. This is really bad. And I went home in a panic thinking, oh, this, you know, this is, this is going to ruin my system. This is going to ruin everything because I want a beer. And what I, I, I sat down and worked out was I didn't want a beer. I just wanted to be treated like that guy. I wanted to be treated like something amazing was happening, like I'd ordered really well and I was being rewarded, you know. So there's so much, forgive me, bullshit around alcohol. And it's so devious and it's so narcissistic. It's, it's unfair. But look, let's get back to the point here because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going off at a tangent and I know that. Um, alcohol, non-alcoholic, slow down, Craig. <laughs> non-alcoholic beer. I consider it in the same sort of bracket as kombucha. If you have the odd kombucha, I don't see that's a problem. If you're having seven kombucha a day, then I think you should see that as a warning sign. Because there is a little bit of alcohol in it, and th- there is a slight problem here, Megan, because it, it, from what I understand, kombucha, is the, the alcohol percentage doesn't remain stable. If you warm it up and leave it standing for a couple of hours, the alcohol can, uh, amount can triple or quadruple. So you could start off with a a glass of kombucha that's at 0.25% alcohol, which is around the same amount as non-alcoholic beer, you leave it sitting in the sun for a few hours and it gets up to 1% alcohol. All right, so it's still low, but it's, you know, it's a little bit like putting out a fire and then every now and again just dribbling a little bit of gasoline on it. It's a gamble, isn't it? So what I would say to you is kombucha should be no more prevalent in your life than anything else. You know, bananas are nice, but if you're eating a banana every half hour, every day, you've got a major problem with bananas, don't you? Anything that kind of leaves the boundaries of I can take it or leave it are, are to be worried about. And so have have a glass of kombucha if you want. But if it becomes routine then I think some alarm bells should start to ring for you. I hope that helps. So what we're going to do is we're, we're going to wrap up episode two of the Happy Sober podcast at this point. 
because I don't want these things to ramble on too long. I think that they're better in clear, concise doses. If you have any questions about quitting drinking, if you have any specific situation you would like me to deal with, I would love to hear from you. My email address is craig at craigbeck.com. If you would like to attend one of my free quit drinking webinars, you can sign up right now at the website, www.stopdrinkingexpert.com. Please like and share this podcast as much as possible. Let's get the message out there and start changing lives together. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you at the website very, very soon, and also in Episode 3 of the Happy Sober Podcast. 